What's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast here. Episode 31. We're back. It was kind of a little hiatus. Um, had been relocating, but um, the crew is here with you. So how's it going, Richard? I missed you both. Hey, everyone. What's up? Mr. Teach has. <laughs> Seth, how's it going, buddy? It's going good, Chaz. I hope uh, the move went well. It did, it did. It's certainly uh, a different scenery. I, I was telling these two off-cast, you have to get up, like, super early to beat all the old people to uh, do anything around here, but, you know, it, it happens. Um, so on our docket for this cast, we have GP London, we got Battle for Zendikar spoilers, so we're really pumped about that, Price Movement, Fish Mail, and um, some other random stuff, like From the Vault Angels and stuff like that. Um, so let's just jump right in. So I didn't get to actually watch the coverage of GP London, but I saw the results. So I'll open the floor to you guys. Did you guys watch the coverage? No, I didn't get to watch the coverage either this weekend. I had uh, my younger brother had a graduation party, finished high school this year. So I was busy all weekend, but I also got to look over the deck list and uh, see some of that stuff. So I kept up on it a bit, but didn't get to see it live. Yeah, what about you, Richard? Yeah, I, I got a bit of the deck text on day one and a couple of matches in, but I didn't really get a chance to see the top eight. Yeah, uh, you were kind of updating uh, as the day went on. Um, you have some really cool, uh, if anyone hasn't seen them on the website, or uh, Richard, you put together like this really cool like template for the deck text, so uh, it was really cool to see those updates throughout the, I guess, the coverage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty cool. As for the deck list, so Abzan Agro uh, got first and second place and kind of dominated a lot of the top eight, to be honest. Two more decks in the top eight, and then you have kind of a green-white Megamorph, a Jeskai Tempo, red-green Dragons, and then another kind of Abzan mid-range. It's kind of getting towards that point. We're in August, uh, September's around the corner, and then, boom, we have uh, Battle for Zendikar in October. You know, a lot of people want to kind of take away the, from these bigger tournaments that this might be a precursor to October. Looking at a, a large GP like this, I kind of temper expectations, even though it's kind of a large EV event. I mean, I would have to think the landscape is going to change drastically come October. What, what are your takeaways from GP London, uh, Richard? Uh, Abzin is king. It, it took <laughs> it took a week or two to to figure out the correct combination of Siege Rhinos and Policeman Lions, but <laughs> it turns out Siege Rhino is a really good card, and you just throw in some hanger back walkers, and there you go. So Yeah, that was some sick tech. Like Everyone ran Abzan. Uh, Siege Rhino was everywhere. It seems like the shift was uh, towards the lower end of the curb, so hanger back walker was the secret tech of the week. Uh, and then, you know, you still had your den protectors and fleece main lines. But you just can't beat, like, three-color good stuff, apparently. There were two, I think two blue decks in the top 16. Everyone else ran green, uh, yeah. you know, including, you know, the Abzan decks, uh, red-green dragons, red-green devotion, band heroics, splashing green, just for Jamoka's command. So it is the time of green in Magic, and... Uh, Siege Rhinos just came back after two weeks of uh, vacation, kind of like you, Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, that's a really good uh, parallel right there. That's a good analogy. <laughs> they took a vacation. We're back. Uh, I didn't see any Rhinos on my way down, but uh, I guess I'm seeing them now in the top eight. 
Uh, oh, sorry. What what did you think of the the tournament, Seth? The the results, anyway. Uh, well, <laughs> obviously a lot of abs, and like you guys said, I think the hangerback walker thing kind of to lead into what you were saying is really interesting because the big weakness with Abzan aggro is languish. Like if you look over most of their creatures, like the big reason to go control over aggro is you don't get destroyed by languish, which everyone was really hyped up about with magic origins release. And right. hangerback walker is a great counter to that. Like that's, that's another card that you can have die to languish, and it doesn't even matter because you're getting so much value when it dies. So I think it's really cool that, although I don't like the deck, it's cool that many different teams from different countries even came to this GP, and all of them independently arrived at Hangerback Walker being the card for Abzan Agro. Yeah. Man, you do not like aggressive decks. You don't like red. You don't like anything to do with... Now Abzan aggro, like... Well, honestly, I, I liked Abzan. I'm just <laughs> sick of... It's been literally Patrick Chapin won the Block Pro Tour over a year ago now with Abzan, and it has been the best deck in the format for a year and some months now. So I like the deck. I've played it at various times. I'm just tired of it. Yeah, I understand. It's not nearly as boring as, like, uh, Devotion versus Devotion, though. That was brutally <laughs> awful. Yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it, Seth. I think, really, just, I think Hangerback Walker, and like you said, Richard, was just kind of that thing that got inserted, and all of a sudden, the power level of this deck has skyrocketed, that, like, greatly, and it was already a great deck before that. It, it kind of has always been relevant, but now them kind of all inserting this Hangerback Walker tech is just push this deck, you know, even further. It's too good. I, yeah, we, We've Walker's seen it in really control. Good. We've seen it yeah. in aggro. <laughs> we've seen it in mid-range. We just need some kind of weird hangerback walker combo deck, and it'll be in every single deck in standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, another deck um, I, I kind of like, you know, even... I mean, we, we all like to kind of speculate for post-rotation, and I don't like to get into that too much because... You know, you never really quite see the same things once rotation happens. Um, but if I had to bet, it would be this kind of Abzan aggro. And then this Jeskai tempo deck is always showing up. It kind of has changed over the course of what we've seen uh, way back when, when um, Kevin Jones kind of won that first kind of Star City Games when cons first came out. But, I mean, apparently Mantis Rider is still a really good card. Jace being inserted and then Soulfire Grandmaster... And most of all these spells are sticking around. I mean, you're only really losing Wild uh, Lightning Strike. Um, Stoke the Flames is a big one, too. But you get a lot of the core cards in the deck. I'm kind of intrigued by that deck, too. Yeah, I think it definitely has potential to stick around uh, post-rotation. Just uh, when you have decks that are already Tier 1 and don't lose too much, that's a pretty good sign that with this format getting smaller, at least in the beginning of the format, these are the kind of decks people will probably default towards because they're known quantities. You can just switch out a couple cards that rotate and keep going. Uh, Abzan Agro is the same way. You literally, from the first place deck, you lose four copies of Fleece Main Lion, you lose an, a, one Ajani Mentor of Heroes, and one Hero's Downfall. And you can play the entire same main deck and just re Kajigger your mana base based on what lands show up in battle <laughs> right. for Zendikar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff. Um, actually, speaking of, um, you know, looking at these aggros, we, we're seeing Soren crop up a little bit more now. I guess that's because of the, um, I mean, that's just brutal with Hangerback. 
Yeah, uh, it definitely is pretty good with hanger back. So that that could be something that sticks around for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's just lifelink is brutal in a field of mono reds. So yeah. it's it's some secret tech there. You know, if you look at the abs and aggro deck, there's actually a lot of secret tech sitting in there, right? Like a Johnny Mentor of Heroes is apparently playable now with Hangerback Walker, right? Like giving it plus one, plus one counters is a good deal. Uh, Anafenza's come back, a three-man of 4-4 that just randomly hoses graveyard strategies, uh, including Hangerback Walker, uh, I think is a large part uh, of why this deck is successful. It kind of just hates how abs and rally... It hates on other hangerback walkers. Uh, it, it's just like a three mana four four with so much upside right now. So the Absent deck actually has a lot of secret tech in there, in addition to just straight up value creatures like Fleece Main Lion and Siege Rhino. So yeah, all, all these good stuff decks like basically get all the colors, and apparently the t- the two color combinations are just Guy and Absent, and just jam all the good cards in there and go to town with our. Uh, you know, pretty good mana bases in standard right now. Yeah. Um, you talked about uh, Ajani giving plus one, plus one counters. Anna Fenza also has that kind of added bonus of giving a hangerback walker a plus one, plus one counter. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just all those little kind of nuances that really make... I mean, it's really all centered around hangerback. Uh, and it just kind of feels like Abzan has incorporated that the best. So, yeah, going forward, I mean... Those are probably two really strong candidates for October. I mean, even Seth just said, I mean, you're you're not really losing that much. But again, I, I just personally kind of temper expectations. Whenever there's a huge uh, rotation going on that, you know, there might, you can make a strong case, but, you know, there is always kind of that uncertainty that, you know, there could be a lot more new cards and there's a different landscape uh, once Battle for Zendikar hits. So... Uh, any kind of final thoughts on GP London? All right. Speaking of Battle of Zendikar, we have some spoilers, and we have some pretty cool spoilers. So um, you put these up on the on the website, uh, Richard. Why don't give us a lens into Battle of Zendikar? <laughs> yeah. So the uh, landfall is right in there. <laughs> landfall is right in here. Uh, Zendikar versus Eldrazi dual deck, which releases August twenty eighth, uh, was spoiled. And it's, you know, if you don't know dual decks, they're basically just a collection of reprints. Um, but they also include some quote unquote reprints from Battle for Zendikar, which for us will be brand new spoilers. Uh, so we've already had one in Oblivion Sower, and there's five more, which I guess we'll talk about today. Uh, and then a couple of kind of high profile reprints, which we can talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, so the first is Dominator Drone. It's two and a black, so three converted mana costs. It's a three-two, and it has a new keyword. Actually, it has two new keywords. Uh, devoid. Uh, devoid means this card has no color, and it also has ingest. Uh, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles the top card of his or her library. And uh, it has a trigger. When Dominator Drone enters the battlefield, if you control another colorless creature, each opponent loses two life. So that's our first Eldrazi drone spoiler. What do you guys think? I, I mean, these... Uh, we're going to talk about another uh, Eldrazi drone here in a minute, but um, this will kind of be my 
response to both of them. It seems like these little Eldrazi drones are a hell of a lot more competitive than the last time. Well, we didn't even have anything like this last time, right? We had, like, the Eldrazi spawn tokens, which were all zero ones, and then we had right. seven drops, eight drops. Were there any, like, mid-range Eldrazi? Am I forgetting something? Uh, I'll look it up while you're talking. But, I mean, <laughs> I think, okay... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil your fun, Richard. The next Eldrazi drone, because I want to talk <laughs> about these two together, is right. Forerunner of Slaughter, which is an Eldrazi drone. It costs one black and one red, and you get a three-two. It has Devoid, so it has no color, and you can pay one and give target colorless creature haste until end of turn. So there might be if we get a critical mass of these Devoid cards that have abilities like Dominator Drone, where when it enters the battlefield, you can have an opponent lose two life if you control another colorless creature. Um, We could see a deck built out of these, like a 3-2 for 2, with an ability to give a big Eldrazi haste, followed by a 3-2 for 3 that drains for 2 when it enters the battlefield. That seems like the start of some sort of colorless creature, like tribal deck, that could pop up in standard. I think that's possible. Yeah, so conveniently, we have this uh, colorless artifact in standard called Hangerback Walker, which would uh, <laughs> up the power level of such a deck. So. Yeah, and we do have Ghostfire Blade. Uh, to answer your question also, uh, Seth, we did have a couple of mid-range Eldrazi drones, but other than Nest Invader, I mean, they were all kind of crap. We had the Brood Warden, Kozilek's Predator... Emrakul's Hatcher, Rapricious One, and Dread Drone. So in all of those, their main purpose was making Eldrazi spawn tokens, I think, if I'm remembering them. Like, all of those right, in some yeah. way were attached to making the spawn tokens. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they, every single one was, yeah. But yep. they, weren't, they were still drones, technically, so I guess like we can still compare the new ones to the old ones. But, yeah, their, their kind of sub-theme was making these even smaller spawns. When these are, like, aggressively costed creatures, like a 3-2 three, for 3 right. is aggressively uh, aggressively costed. So I, yeah. I'm pretty excited to see the new direction that uh, Aldrazi is going in this set. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we haven't had these before. Uh, they're really well-costed and aggressive, to, like you were saying, Seth. Uh, there could be some sort of colorless aggro deck that comes from this. You mentioned Hangerback Walker. There's uh, Ghostfire Blade. This could get a. Uh, this could be the making of something. Uh, once uh, the full spoiler hits, I mean, there could be enough of these to make a deck. What do you guys think about the Devoid mechanic? The fact that there's colored mana symbols on the card, and then there's just text that says this card has no color. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this offcast, so we came to the conclusion that the colored symbols would, like, well, Devotion's rotating, but it would count towards Devotion. But then you can't, like, you can Doomblade these. Yeah, that's our non-judge opinion. Right. Um, but then we <laughs> got hard. stuck on what happens if you have uh, one of these cards out at Humility <laughs> <laughs> on board. And we're just like, I don't know. Like, uh, this is just Haven't weird. We I'm waiting for the, the, just the Bidens of Thassa artifact with the Void on it. It's like a blue-blue <laughs> artifact, and it just has the Void. <laughs> like, Wizards is uh, getting a little funky here, but... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with these uh, no-color cards, which I assume means the same as colorless. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's 
a little weird. And I think it's safe to s- assume, well, I think we knew this, that there's going to be no Annihilator. So what about the replacement mechanic, uh, Ingest? <laughs> replacement mechanic? I don't even know the if re- you can count that. Like, exiling <laughs> the top card of your library compared to making you sack your entire board? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's what they replaced it with. So I, I, I mean, think we talked about this what I got. I think Seth got it wrong. This is not a mill mechanic, okay? You're not trying to deck your opponent. I think we're going to see cards that deal with stuff in the exile zone. We've seen it in Oblivion Solar, uh, where you can play lands that are exiled. But my guess is you're going to get some kind of, like, uh, Ashiok effect or some kind of Convoke effect based on things in exile. Um, but my guess is we'll see some, you know, splashy mythics that have something to do with the other end of ingest. Like, these guys are eating and feeding, and... uh some big baddie's gonna make use of the resources. That's my guess. I mean, that's a. <laughs> I'm gonna lean towards. While it's cool, I'm gonna lean towards uh, Seth's uh, initial. Uh, <laughs> Hit assessment. you 59 times, and I'll get you good. That's that's a piss poor replacement for Annihilator. That's for sure. <laughs> I. It is cool. Don't get me wrong, but. I do think, too, that right now it probably looks weird because we haven't seen the cards that Richard is talking about other than Oblivion Sower. So I think it'll make more sense once more of the set's revealed. But right now, like, just reading it over in the list of these five spoiled cards, it just looks horrible. (laughs) Like, it's like (laughs) the worst mechanic they ever made. Like, banding level horrible. I'm excited for that. I I love Ingest. Coming from, like, friggin' Megamorph. (laughs) Like, this is like they're eating, they're feeding, you know, something's happening. There's definitely been a worse mechanic than Ingest. I could could probably drum one up, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. So what do you think, Richard? Does that mean putting two and two together in the winner set, will we have Mega Ingest, where you exile the top two cards of your opponent's library? No, you you exile the card and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to say anything about these without seeing more of what, maybe that mechanic, what you're talking about, Richard, but, uh, but you wrote an article about this, Seth, and we knew there's going to be some allies, but damn, I'm pretty impressed with the veteran war leader. Yeah, so, veteran war leader, uh, sweet. Yeah, so it's a one generic green, white, star, star, human soldier ally, uh, veteran war leader's power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control. Tap another untapped ally you control. Veteran War Leader gains your choice of First Strike, Vigilance, or Trample until end of turn. Uh, and there was a rules question asked to me. Just wanted to verify. So if you did tap uh, additional allies, you can give it each ability. Yes, or you could give it yeah. First yep. Strike five times. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> I, I mentioned that. Uh, yeah, so you can you can tap three allies and give it all three abilities. So... Um, I'm very impressed. If this is the caliber of rares uh, for allies, I mean, man, that's that's really something to be optimistic about. You don't even need allies. It's the number of creatures <laughs> for the power and toughness. So you could just, like, curve Gideon into raise the alarm in a veteran war right. and just, like, forget allies, right? So this is a really <laughs> powerful card. And oh. it's green-white. So green has a card called Collected Company. So it does. You can plug the board company allies. with allies. So I, this is a very intriguing card. I think, though, that you do need allies, because we just came yeah. off of, like, Wayfaring Temple, which was the same mana cost and the same ability, 
and when you dealt damage, it would populate. And that basically didn't see any play, because no matter how big it gets, you can chump it with some little dork. So the ability to make it huge and give it trample is hopefully what sets this card apart from other cards that look like it, and maybe makes it constructed playable. Oh, I think it's definitely constructed playable. Um, if, if only for the fact that it does have, like, like you said, Seth, the, the problem with these kind of cards is you could just kind of chump them all day. Uh, this guy, you know, the veteran war leader, you can just tap, you know, uh, uh, just some random ally that's not doing anything um, and just kind of give this trample, and that's a really viable uh, attacker. Alongside whatever else a- other allies are doing, they all kind of uh, help enhance each other, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, the problem is you're gonna probably have to wait for two more sets, right? Because yeah. Battle for Zendikar probably won't have enough allies. Like, they'll have a lot, but a lot of them will be kind of like common, uncommon fillers. So to kind of get the critical mass of rare and mythic allies, you might need to wait one or two more expansions. Yeah, because I don't there aren't We're any gonna... standard legal allies right now, right? No. No. But there's a hell of a lot of modern uh, <laughs> legal ones, that's for sure. I think we might be getting close to uh, a constructed allies uh, modern deck. Someone I mean, actually, we... actually played one successfully at a daily event on Magic Online, a, a five-color ally deck, and it actually worked, and they, I think they went 4-0. So it is possible right now, and with some more rares and mythics, it should only get better. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, if this is the caliber of rares that we're going to be getting, I'm, I'm assuming they're not all going to be this good, but I'm certainly optimistic. I mean, this is a really good card. Um, so on to, we have another keyword. So this is a card called Sheer Drop. Uh, two white and a, two generic and a white, sorry, sorcery. Uh, destroy target tap creature and awaken three. So awaken is the keyword. Five generic and a white. If you cast this spell for five and a white, also put three plus one plus one counters on target land you control, and it becomes a zero zero elemental creature with haste. It's still a land. Interesting. I hope they're all not like eight mana for awaken, but I mean that's it's an interesting mechanic. Yeah, this yeah. is a common, so it's not aggressively costed, but uh, you can just. Get some Dark Steel Citadel action going here. Like, yeah. It's interesting to me that you get plus one, plus one counters instead of just a straight up, like, three, three elemental. So maybe yeah. there'll be some kind of counter sub theme going on here. Yeah, that could make sense. I think, yeah. I think the mechanic itself has potential to be constructed playable. Like, usually, this reminds me sort of of Kicker a little bit. Because uh, you can play the spell for a cheap cost and still get its ability. I mean, paying three to destroy a tap creature is about what that ability usually costs. Yeah. But then in the late game, if you draw it off the top, oh, you just randomly get a 3-3 three, three on top of that. So I don't think this card's constructed playable, but cards that are good in the early game and still good in the late game and give you more benefit in the late game, those type of mechanics often are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting mechanic. Uh, again, I mean, we haven't. This is just a common, like you said, uh, Richard. We haven't kind of seen the uh, competitive awakened card, but but uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, Seth, uh, agreeing with you also that um, I love creatures that get better <laughs> as the game goes on. I certainly love spells that get better as the game go on. So I'm liking awaken. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be pretty sweet. I'm excited to see where else it goes as we see more of the set released. Yeah. And to, uh, sorry to steal your thunder. I guess me and Seth both stole your thunder, Richard. <laughs> so why don't you just do the last card? We got landfall back. Uh, I, so got, that's I, I got the crappy card. I don't like this card, even though <laughs> you guys like it. Uh, retreat to Kazandu. Kazandu? I don't know. Someplace. Uh, two and a green. So three converted mana cost. Uh, it's an enchantment. Uh, it has landfall, so that's a returning keyword. Uh, whenever a land enters a battlefield under your control, choose one. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, or you gain two life. Uncommon. It's it's an interesting enchantment for sure. Um, kind of like those uh, the landfall enchantments uh, the first time around. I mean, if you like Corsair Crucifix, you kind of get a Corsair Crucifix as an enchantment, <laughs> but without a two. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, no, I I guess I can sort of see the comparison. You get to no, gain life when a land comes into play, things. but <laughs> I don't know. I don't well, think this card is very good for constructed, or actually for no. limited either, or just it's not good anywhere, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my my only real reasoning was uh, we did see kind of that plus one, plus one counter. We We just kind of talked about it. I mean... You play a Hangerback Walker, and maybe some of these crappy plus one plus one counter cards end up being good. Who knows? And I mean, the nice thing about Landfall is you got to play lands, like no matter yeah. no matter what. So it is giving you value for something that you're doing every turn anyway. So that part of it is kind of nice. It's not like you got to build around this card, like because yeah. no matter what deck you're playing, you're playing lands. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, hardened uh, scales def- retreat to Casadu and <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I would, yeah, yeah exactly the synergies you got hardened scales hanger back walker retreat to kazandu awaken stuff starfield of nyx citadel siege i mean we're starting to there you go man citadel siege. perfect mtg goldfish podcast <laughs> brew right there you should start you should start um you should start recording these, Richard. Just put them up on the site whenever we pump out a sick brew out of the podcast. <laughs> so those are the five spoilers. So those are the three the three keywords, Devoid, Ingest, Awaken, the Return of Landfall, um, and then the, the five creatures we've seen, or the five cards we've seen, I guess. Uh, what do you guys think about the implications of Landfall coming back? Are we going to see Goblin Guide? Does this mean anything? Are we going to see... I don't know what other landfall cards there are that are good. Just Goblin Guide. Well, and Goblin Guide's not even really a landfall card, is it? Like, it it gives your opponent a land, but it doesn't really have landfall. Oh, I guess you're true. It's just a really good card. For some reason, I was just supposed to see Goblin Guide with landfall. I don't... I don't think they can reprint Goblin Guide. I think Mono Red is already too good, and they already have too many one-drops, and... Goblin Guide would just put it over the top, I think, right now in standard. What about the Searing Blood card? What's it? Uh, uh, Searing oh, uh, Blaze? Searing Blaze? Searing Blaze. That would be a pretty good one to come back. Oh, but oh, that card is so good. It is. <laughs> yeah. It really is. I mean, Stepwinks was like a super good viable landfall creature back when uh, we were in Zendikar Standard. I mean, Craig Wesco, I remember him playing both of those, actually, in a deck, uh, the GOP'd and the Lynx. I mean, they are brutal. 
Yeah, especially with fetch lands, you can hit oh, for yeah. four or five damage on turn two or turn three. So yeah, I mean, yeah, they're brutal. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe they incorporate it in a different way. I mean, I don't really see. I mean, they could come back, or we could get entirely new ones uh, that are good. I hope they're not as aggressive. Like for me, Zendikar Limited in specific was, oh, it was just miserable. Oh man, it was so fast, so fast, and. Uh, yeah, it just came down to who could kill your opponent the quickest. There was no real blocking, not much gameplay. Uh, so I don't know. It was I rough. Hope, I hope it's not like that again. Yeah, it was it was rough. I, from just this is a small sample size, but um, you know we do have the kind of really aggressive Eldrazi drone. So uh, maybe I don't know, but. We al- we also have allies, so that's another like a really aggressive strategy. So maybe you're in for a very aggressive battle for Zendikar, <laughs> Seth. I'm yeah, sorry. it's 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 possible. At the same time, we also have Big Eldrazi, and Rise of Eldrazi Limited is the opposite. That was slow battle cruiser magic and just an awesome draft <laughs> format. So that was some StarCraft II battle cruiser <laughs> mass <laughs> attack. <laughs> Hope it gets there, kind of kind of gameplay. Yeah, it really was. That's what I remember. And it was much more revered than the other two sets, from what oh, I remember. Rise is known as one of the all-time, like, widely held by pros and everyone as one of the, maybe the best, or definitely top three draft formats of all time. Yeah. From what I've been here, like, wh- when the first Modern Masters came around, uh, they were saying that it was still, like, you know, they would still kind of favor Rise of Eldrazi, and that's, say- that's saying a lot. Yeah, I so. think... Innistrad slips in there sometimes, too, now, as being one of yeah. those in, in contention for the best. Yeah, that one was really good. I remember playing that one a lot. Yeah. And I yeah. hated Limited. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good, yeah. Um, so any any final thoughts on Zendikar? I, I'm really excited. Well, We only saw five cards. We didn't talk about the reprints. There's some exciting reprints. Oh, right, reprints. that's true. So we did get some reprints. Um, Consume the Meek, Primal Command. Um, there was some, uh, another couple notable ones, Stirring Wildwood, uh, a two of Forked Bolt. So there, there's some, there's some decent value in here. Wait, wait, and the Annihilator, mother of all, uh, oh, he's not that good, but he's a big fatty, it that betrays. Yes. The $14 card. And don't forget your Hellion Eruption. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally. And also Avenger of Zendikar again. And... We didn't get him in Modern Masters, but everyone, he's back. We got Magma. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he, he he decided to wait until it was the perfect time to strike. God, Magma. There's... Imagine if that was actually in Modern Masters. That would have been awful. Yeah, it was pretty close, some of the rares. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually true. But I think it seems like there's a lot of value in uh, this dual deck, actually. If you have the $14 it that betrays, Primal Command's like 8 or 10 bucks. That pays for the deck right there. So I think this might be another, at least in the beginning, it might be another one that's worth buying just to add to your collection. Yeah, especially at nineteen ninety nine. I mean, and that's, I mean, Oblivion Sours were going for, what, like 10 bucks a pop? Eh, something like that. I, I saw think. a few eBay um, just pulling it up real quick. I mean, they're they were yeah. and they were kind of up there for like thirty to thirty five dollars, so it's almost ten bucks. 
Yeah, seems like, and I mean, fork bolts, you said there's two of those, and those are like three bucks still or something, so yeah, seems so, like the value's there. I think they're getting it right with these supplemental products. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they're really starting to put a lot of value into these. Yeah, I mean, we have a, again, we have a small sample size, so maybe like the next one really sucks, but <laughs> that's two in a row now that they kind of really did a good job. Yeah, they really are doing a good job. Uh, so I don't know. I'm definitely happy for the players because these are great products for new players and people getting into the game. So it's nice that those type of players can go to their Walmart and actually get some playable cards and not just right. like intro deck jank that no one that you can't do anything with and you feel like you got ripped <laughs> off. When yeah, you buy it. yeah, yeah. They they really were. I mean, they they had some decent ones over the years. Um, but for the most part, they were kind of crap. Uh, I, I'm glad that they're kind of, you know, raising the bar and, and putting some really good stuff into here. I mean, even Avenger of Zendikar is still a good card to have. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, it might not be as much as it used to be, but yeah, there's some there's some decent value in here. So hopefully that keeps continuing, you know, as we go along. I was just talking to you uh, off cast. Um, I can see why they put Anafenza Kinstree Spirit into a dual deck or into a clash pack because that card is about to get pretty damn good, I think, with all these plus one, plus one counter stuff and white being so good. Yeah, I think that does have potential. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about the plus one, plus one counter synergy. Actually, all of Bolster as a mechanic plays right along with the plus one, plus one counter theme, so that's kind of uh, yeah. interesting to know. I didn't actually think of that. Yeah, definitely works with... I mean, it's really only always going to revolve around hangerback walkers, so, I mean, <laughs> let's see how big we can get our hangerback walkers <laughs> standard. Yeah, and that that Destroy makes sense. Target so card. We need we need a ratchet bomb. That's what we need. <laughs> we do. Ratchet bomb is gonna come to to take care of hanger back walker. Or we need like an erase, but for artifacts. We don't have an exile artifact in standard. I don't, gotta be. Do one. we? I don't think so. Uh, if we do, it probably costs like five mana or something ridiculous. That's, that's actually quite surprising. I always thought there was always an exile effect. For We're doing some Google right now. Um, <laughs> um, we have Banishing Light, hmm. Chain to the Rocks. Oh, Chain to the Rocks. The Silk Wrap, or what's the other one? Oh. Wait, Silk Wrap is based on power? Oh, no, it's mana cost. So that mana sucks. Um, it should be suspension back field to zero, if it got right? Too if it got too big. Oh, yeah, its mana cost is zero. Yeah. So, yeah, Silk Wrap. Um, yeah, lots of ways to deal with Hanger Back, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you got some. You got some. Yeah. All right, so... Oh, we also got... Uh, st- speaking of dual deck stuff, um, I wasn't around when this was fully spoiled, but, uh, Richard, you updated us on the From the Vault Angels, so we got the complete spoiler. Um, that also kind of happened since we took that little hiatus. So, so anything financially relevant uh, in the 15 well, angel cards spoiled? There were some stinkers in there, but overall, this one's worth it, I think. I mean, you got Janara, you got Avison, Iona, Exalted Angel, the Acro- both Acromas, Entreat the Angel, uh, first foil printing of Tariel, and Baneslayer Angel, and Platinum Angel. So... I mean, that's that's a lot of value right there. I don't know what they're going for. What are they going for right now? 
Haven't been able to check. Um, just about over 75 bucks on eBay. 70 bucks. Uh, I mean, if you could get them, what was the MSRP on these? Like 49.99 or something like that? 40. 35. 35 dollars. 35. If you got them for MSRP, congratulations. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to spend 70 bucks on this, but I think even at 70 bucks, you're getting a good amount of value. I think this one. Just, I think it'll be a hit just because people love angels and a oh, yeah. lot of the cards have sweet new art. Even some of the not great ones, like iridescent angel art, is sweet. Sierra angel looks awesome. So even some of the not valuable angels have sweet art, and angel collectors are probably going to want these just because of that. Dude, I mean the Therese Sarah Nielsen, angel. <laughs> the Sarah angel. iconic magic. <laughs> You've angered Richard. Sierra Miss Angel. No. <laughs> um, the Therese Nielsen or Chromas look fantastic. Um, I would get it just for that. Dude, but, I'm really sad for the lack of fallen angels here. Like, yeah, that's that a pretty iconic, big like, notable. What the hell, one? Lightning Angel? Is that famous? I don't know what that is, but it's that just, one was really good back in the day, but back in Apocalypse Standard. But uh, I think you could have switched out Archangel of Strife for Fallen Angel. I think that would have been fine. Because Archangel of Strife, I mean, that was like some commander crap. And uh, <laughs> Fallen Angel's been with us for a very long time. Fallen Angel's a classic. Or even um, Angelic Destiny. I'm surprised we didn't see more, like, non-angel yeah. creatures. Entreat the Angels was a, was a big one. Yeah. And uh, I kind of had a feeling that might be in it. I was really hoping for new art, so when my Miracles players destroy me, I get to see something new at least. <laughs> but no, it's, it's the uh, Avacid Restored art. Well, yeah, there went my playset of uh, Foil and Treat the Angels right out the window. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping those would just keep appreciating, but they didn't. Uh, so the Avacid's still holding strong at $30 from what I'm seeing on the website, but so, damn. Uh guess... Uh, I guess it is still valuable at seventy. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you'd make money at seventy. But if you want to add no. it to your collection for seventy, probably right, not the yeah. worst buy. Yeah, like if you were contemplating oh seventy, and I only get like a couple decent cards. I mean, you're getting some value at seventy. Yeah. Like you wouldn't have to have any buyer's remorse at seventy. Because uh, again, yeah, I mean, new art. The the first uh, foil printing of Tariel, that's that's notable. Um, the Therese Nielsen Acromas, yeah. So you're you're getting some stuff. It was a really good from the vault. Well done, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it, they did a good job putting it together. You can't really. I don't think you can argue with very many of the card choices. So. No. Um. I mean, Fallen Angel, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our only gripe. So what's the next from the vault? You guys think? What's left? Um, demons. Ah, that's boring. What? <laughs> dragons? Uh, Have they done dragons? They've done from the vault. Dragons. That was the first yeah, one. Yeah, no, that, was the, that was the first one. one. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I don't know. From the vault, like dwarves. Spells. <laughs> yeah, from the vault, but, vampires. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta give like these lesser tribals some love. Minotaurs? I, I don't know. <laughs> God no. <laughs> Werewolves? Hell no. I think I think demons are probably Yeah. Crystal Brand sitting there, nice and yep. handsome, killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. From the vault damnation. Does not include <laughs> damnation. <Probably. Nope. laughs> 
It's like Ford, yeah, they already did languish and Arachnon. You're like, what? I mean, they basically did that already. So <laughs> from the Vault Annihilation, no, no damnation. Like, okay, that makes no sense. All right, so um, we were kind of on a financial little uh, bit. So why don't we actually do the financial segment of the the cast? Um, we haven't done this, so. Um, Sorry, you know, you gotta, you, we kind of missed one, but uh, you'll get the weekly ones from this time. So, let's hit it, Seth. All right, looking over the standard weekly changes, we have the winners, Temple of, Temple of Epiphany, Polluted Delta, Flooded Strand, Sphinx's Tutelage, Wooded Foothills, Johnny Mentor of Heroes, Bloodstained Mire, Tragic Arrogance, Den Protector, and Karanos, God of Storms. And then on the loser side, we have a bunch of Magic Origins cards. Liliana, Days Undoing, Languish, Kytheon, Hero of Ekros, Goblin Pile Driver, Archangel of Ties, Demonic Pact, Erebos' Titan, Nyssa, and Dragonlord Ojitai. There's a lot of lands in this list. <laughs> so, there's, that's a lot of Origins uh, dropping. And then we have our one lone Dragonlord Ojitai holding up the bottom... <laughs> At ten, I, I'm I'm actually really surprised about Temple of Epiphany, but um, I mean, I guess everyone wants to jump on the Sphinx's tutelage deck I mean, that's been doing well, but it's rotating in like six weeks. I I know you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I've been trying to tell people that. I mean, even if you want to play the tutelage deck, play the game land, the Swiftwater Cliffs, or something instead of wasting oh, forty no. of your dollars. No, no, we have to win our F&Ms, and we have to go to PTs and have to play Temple of Epiphany. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't Dude, I, You know what? Even, I think I, even at, like, a higher EV at this point uh, in the standard cycle, I'd be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'll just, I'll just get those little gain-of-life ones. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go to the hell, man? an SCG Open or something, I could see an argument. But if you're just playing F&Ms or that level... The EV calculation, I think, is in favor of not spending $40 on Temple of Epiphany. Yeah. And you, you got to put a cost on greatness, guys. <laughs> you need to win F&M and get the promo card and show off to your friends. I, I guess, man, but, I mean, damn. I mean, it's a Theros Temple. <laughs> oh, no, it's, yeah, it's a Theros block. I was, I was... What was the lowest that it's ever been? Three bucks? I mean, two, two something? It was, it was just at a pretty decent low. It was just at like two, under two dollars, or three dollars. Yeah. Under three. I mean, come on. Yeah. The, the, the fetch lands I can understand. We're going to need those soon. So uh, those, are, those are rising uh, on all fronts. Uh, that makes sense. Um, Tragic Arrogance is in there. Uh, it's been showing up a lot more, uh, up from 50 cents or a quarter, I guess, up to almost a dollar now. So that's pretty good, I guess. Um, Karanos, random. Uh, Ajani Mentor of Heroes. I mean, again, <laughs> F&M or these, these, everyone wants to pump up their Hangerback Walker, I guess. I mean, at least with Ajani and Karanos, those cards aren't going to be... Two dollars post rotation. Right. One's a planeswalker. One's a god. But temple, like that's that's gonna be a two or three dollar card again in uh, three months. So you're just throwing your money away. It's like playing Hearthstone. 
Yeah. <laughs> Random jab at Hearthstone. Damn. I like it, though. I like it. It's, it's like playing Moto. <laughs> I got to prove that I hate on more than just Magic Online, because I'm getting that reputation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Sphinx's tutelage is almost a $3 uncommon. Uh, makes sense. I mean, it's a powerful card, um, but... When when you when I think of like three to four dollar uncommons, I think Stoke the Flames. Like that was super powerful. This is powerful too, but still though, like uh Hedron Crab, Mine Funeral, those even casual mill cards like that that are uncommon can sometimes be worth a lot of money. But those are older cards. I'm really tempted to just drive to a limited GP nearby. <laughs> just, like, take through people's throwaways to grab these, right? Like, $3? That's, like, ridiculous, right? Like, it's in print. Like, every every week, people are drafting and throwing these things away. So, it's amazing. I don't like, think they are this... anymore. <laughs> I don't think people know. I remember when Lingering Souls was around. I, I picked yeah. up, like... 50 Lingering Souls or something, just by, like, grabbing, like, the, the jank people throw away, like, after their sealed events, or their draft events. Yeah. And it wasn't even worth that much at that time. It was, like, worth, like, 25 cents, 50 cents or something, right? But it seems like Sphinx's Tulage is in that same boat where no one expects an uncommon to be worth so much. So they just, they just don't care. They're like, what is this card? What am I going to do with it, right? At least Lingering Souls looked good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it is, left, I mean, left. it's a very good uncommon. So, yeah. I would not put Sphinx's Tutelage on the Lingering Souls level. The only reason Lingering Souls is the cost that it is is because it was reprinted like a million times. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, so basically what we can take from this is uh, fetch lands. Um, You're going to need them. They don't seem like they're slowing down. The only one that really isn't budging is because of that Clash Pack is uh, is Heath. Uh, the other ones are just taken off. And and they're getting a bump, too, from the announcement that there's no battle for Zendikar fetch lands, yep. so people are buying them as budget options for modern, so yep. that that helps the KTK fetch lands quite a bit, uh, knowing that there's at least another, what, six months before we get battle for Zendikar fetches. Or Zendikar fetches. Yeah. Well, uh, the losers all... The, on the loser side, those all seem... Uh, kind of I mean it's it's really just kind of obvious just stuff that's not really doing too well. I mean Nissa going down by 50 cents isn't really a huge deal. It's still a really good card in standard. Um probably even more so now that, you know, rotation is coming along. I don't really see uh a card like Nissa going away. Um Demonic Pack might kind of have a resurgence, but mostly it's just coming down from that PT hype. Goblin Pile Driver has been MIA, so obviously it's been going down. Days Undoing, same thing. Um, so, you know, that's that's really mostly the explanation for the, the losing side. Yeah, I mean, people are drafting and opening Magic Origins, so the supply is increasing, and it's not as hard to find these cards as it was a few weeks ago. So, Yeah. All right, so another thing that happened, so why don't we just all complain about the fetch lands now and get it out of our system? <laughs> well, we're, we're what a fiasco complaining two weeks later about fetch lands <laughs> oh fetch lands but yeah, I mean <sighs> well, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I talked to Seth about this. Like, Modern existed without the Onslaught fetches. So now, if you want to be budget, just do the reverse and play the Cons fetches without the Onslaught. Or, sorry, the uh, without the uh, Zendikar fetches. And you may you might lose one or two percentage points, but it's probably not relevant most of the time. So, it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't know why everyone's, like, up in arms, but it is what it is. My and, uh, catacombs are worth a lot now. <laughs> and they're going to be reprinted sooner or later. Just because they didn't come in battle for Zendikar doesn't mean they're not going to get reprinted. I mean, it, it, could, could, it could be... Yeah, go ahead. It could be in the very next set, right? I mean, he didn't say that. Yeah, technically they could come that early, or it could be two years from now, but sooner or later it's going to happen. Well, I mean, if it's two years from now, uh, then obviously you're going to have a point in time where they're going to get kind of expensive again. But, I mean, the, the, the frantic, like, up-in-arms panic buying was just a little too much for my taste, but... I mean, hey, if you needed them, I guess get them, because they're not going to be in battle for Zendikar. But boy, would it suck if they're in the very next set, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, that's a it good would be, point. It would be pretty damn funny, I think. So that's why, I mean, you never really, like... Rosewater's weird like that. Like, he'll, he'll say, like, oh, no, they're not, like, in this very set. But then they're, like, in the very next set. Yeah, he's, like, honestly deceptive in his blog, like, on purpose. (laughs) No, they're not in Battle for Zendikar, but they're in our, in our commander sets, like, like, he could have, he could have said when they were coming, but he didn't. So, obviously, they're coming soon, which is what I still feel, uh, is gonna happen. Nah, but they would, they wouldn't waste their announcement. Like, even if they knew 100% it was coming in the second set, there's no way they'd announce it. Like, they, they no, have to they, wait. Yeah, they need to sell sets. So. Yeah, they gotta wait for the hype, you know, like, a month before, when pre right. is up and going, and then they'll drop their announcement, right? So. Well, no, I mean, if he knew, like, if he wanted to, he could have, you know, just to kind of temper everyone's kind of, like, I guess it would have really stopped all these Fetchlands spiking, that's for sure. Yeah. But, um, I guess he really didn't, but I still kind of have that feeling that they're coming very soon because he didn't say you know, they were not in battle for Zendikar exclusively. So. I don't know. It would, I just, I just think it would be comical if they were in the very next set. Everyone was spending like 50, 60 bucks on a, on a burning catacomb. You just gotta sell it before the announcement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I guess that was everyone's Jesus idea, Christ. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the BIOS, uh, I think, are coming down already, so, uh, that's that, I guess. Um, I guess one random final tidbit of finance stuff since we're talking about it. Seth, uh, you coached me through my very first collection sale. Uh, it, it's not finalized as of right now, this moment, as I'm talking on the cast, but I'm going to go pick it up at some point, and then I guess I'll let you guys know what happened. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I come back alive. <laughs> just, just don't get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was always, like, my kind of weird hesitation, especially, like, it, when I was up in New York. Like, there's some weird places in the middle of the woods, so, sort of, and you don't know exactly, like, what's going on in certain parts of these wooded areas in New York, and you're like, dude, I could I could knock them back. Like, I don't I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Honestly, though, I've bought, no. I've bought a lot of collections, and 
almost every <laughs> single person I've met has been really cool and even really friendly. Like magic players, we sometimes get a bad rap when stuff like that, uh, different gates happen and the community gets in these uproars. But I have to say, when I meet these random magic players going and buying collections, 99% of them are super friendly and just really cool people. Yeah, right. We're not we're not totally getting the uh, we're serial killers stigma, but you know, <laughs> um, no, it should be fine. Um, hopefully it works out. Um, but yeah, thanks for coaching me through that. If you haven't read those articles and you're listening to this cast, you should definitely they're they haven't been recent. Uh, they're not like very recent. You didn't he didn't just write them, but Seth, you wrote uh, really good. Uh, collection buying series um so a shameless plug on your behalf <laughs> oh well thank you so yeah. i'm excited for you it's cool that you moved to a new area and you're already finding collections like within a few days when before you couldn't find any where you were living before yeah i mean there's definitely some notable people in new york so uh finding stuff was very very hard <laughs> especially like the the gold mines you guys end up finding like i i get some random box of like random like crap <laughs> like third edition junk that's <laughs> like oh it's just been sitting in a box for like 10 years i want to get rid of it for like 500 dollars. i'm like you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even worth the cardboard it's printed on uh, uh yeah. yeah but yeah it, it was really an experience um if anyone has kind of known me i didn't you know i kind of convey that i don't haven't really ever done the collection buying so it was definitely an experience, and, you know, Seth, I mean, it, it's just a different kind of, um, it's, a, it's a little different than just, like, buying singles and then hoping they, you know, turn a profit on them. This is kind of a little different bit of an approach, and, um, yeah, hopefully as I go along, I mean, like, the, the real thing is just kind of the haggling. I mean, you don't ever want to come off like you're extremely lowballing them to, like, almost insulting like them. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, even myself, like, even when stores kind of offer buy lists, like, their, their buy lists, they're only really offering their buy lists, and I understand that, but, like, sometimes it's almost, like, so low, it's insulting, and I never really have wanted to come off like that, so, uh, but then at the same time, you don't want to come off, like, super eager <laughs> either, because then they're like, oh, shit, I might have, like, something really worth a lot of stuff in here, so you have to, like, kind of strike that balance. Yeah, that's definitely true. And you mentioned the difference between like buying singles and collection buying. I think for me the main difference is buying collections isn't speculating at all. Like no, no, even absolutely. like look at the collection you were looking over this morning. You get the list of cards. You can kind of add up the value of the cards and figure out. Well, if I pay this much, I'm definitely not going to lose money, and I should make a little money. So there's not really any risk involved. Like there is. I mean, other than getting murdered or something, but <laughs> otherwise, other than your life, financially you're good. Physical safety not guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, what you offer is like that's the biggest control you have on this situation. Like buying singles is kind of a little different because that's what it is. Like that's the price of the single, and you just kind of have to hope it increases you kind of have a more of a control variable when it comes to co buying collections. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And, and the, the real thing, um, you kind of like people might play it off like, Oh yeah. Like I kind of know that already, but really like it's, it's super important. Like you really do have to learn when to walk away. Like if, if you make a price and you're pretty stern on it, you're not trying to really lowball, but you're kind of like, 
if I offer more than this, I'm I'm stupid. Um, you have to just kind of give it up because yeah. you're not you're just you're gonna not make it worth your time. I can't even tell you how many times I've driven an hour to look at a collection, oh. made an offer which I knew was the best I could do, and the person wants twice as much as I am oh, willing to God. pay, and yeah. have to turn around and come home and. You just you have to learn that to learn how to turn down those bad collections because not everyone is reasonable when they're selling their collections. Like some people, the best ones or worst ones are the people that they have this idea, like this sunk cost fallacy, where they think that oh, because I spent two thousand dollars on booster boxes, the cards that I open from those booster boxes they must be worth at least two thousand dollars because that's how much I spent on them. Yeah, because so you see that so many times in the ads, like oh well. I spent $500 on these, so I'm asking $700 because they got to be more than what I invested into them. And it just oh, it makes me want to pull yeah. my eyes out. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, you have to you have to realize, like, they don't really realize that, I mean, if they're, they're if, the, if they've been sitting there, like, the collection's been sitting there, I mean, they're really, like, and a lot of people start turning them down. I mean, they have to realize that, Obviously, the price that they're asking is not in the realm of possibility. Like, it's just not going to happen. People aren't going to give you that much. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely true. And sometimes that's a good time to be the buyer because those people do realize, well, maybe my cards really aren't worth five hundred dollars. And yeah. when you offer them three hundred, they're willing to take it. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, I mean, I'll let everyone know how it goes. Um, definitely. Uh, some notables in there. I mean, we we looked at it. Uh, there was like the Snapcasters in there. So I mean, that right there seems worth it enough uh, to kind of bring up what I'm paying. Um, so I mean, I got them all the way down to 200. So yeah, I, hopefully, yeah, I think it'll work out well for you. And if uh, you see random ads for me over, I mean, Richard, do you need a uh, a vampire playmat? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it, but. Hopefully, maybe someone just snags it for 10 or 15 bucks or something like that. You can add it to Seth's ever-growing collection of uh, collection-buying wayside products. Yeah. <laughs> I have I'm sure, I'm, so yeah, much. I'm sure you have plenty deck boxes and shit. i got to figure out something to do with about 5,000 of those nine-card pages that you put in binders. So oh. If you guys ever want some of those for arts and crafts class or anything, let me know. <laughs> You know, I was actually talking, but it was just like a random point before uh, we move on to fish mail. Um, you know, we were, I was i was talking to a friend and he's kind of starting to get back into magic a little bit. He wanted to like know, he's like, oh, should like, you know, we're, what about like, should I buy these like monster binders and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, like they're good, but I mean, I kind of still like the pages in the three ring binders. I mean, call me old school, but it's like. They're just for storage. I mean, they're not going to, like, go anywhere. I mean, obviously, I love the monster binders. They're really uh, convenient. But, I mean, if you're storing a bunch of stuff in there, it's like, you might as well just go with the giant binder. I mean, you could get them at, like, a Walmart for, like, seven, eight bucks. And plus, you can add pages. Pages people throw at you, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will throw them at you. (laughs) (laughs) But, and plus, you can add pages to them. That's the problem I have with the monster binders is if you, like, sort by color, you don't have, like, an extra page you can just stick in there if you get more cards you want to put in. Exactly. But with the big binders, you can just stick in a new page and you're good to go. Yeah. So, I mean, but then you're, you know, you get the 
the wear and tear of the three ring binder, and but that's a whole story for another time. <laughs> Guys, in your um, binders, just use boxes, not even card yeah, boxes. Just, just, use, just, a sh- use, like, just boxes. use a shoe box. There you go. That's what we used to do back in the way old days. Oh, I still Richard. do, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess you still do. So there you go. Um, we got some fish mail, so let's let's uh let's answer some fish mail. All right, let me dig it up here. Uh, we got we got one from Jeremy Smith via Facebook. So, do you believe Deathrite Shaman will eventually see a rise? It just seems so low for such a great card. Or does being banned in modern really hurt it that much? I think being banned in modern really does hurt it a lot. Like, I understand it's it's still a very good card in Legacy, um, and it's n- probably not going anywhere anytime soon in Legacy, but Legacy, you know, while still a great format, again, I always have to say this like a million times, I love Legacy, but it just doesn't have that pull anymore that it used to. Um, enough to make it like a $30 card. I mean, Stoneforge Mystic is also banned in uh, Modern, so to to draw a parallel, but that card is $30 probably just because of Legacy. But I, I think Stoneforge Mystic is just a overall more powerful card. As as weird as that is to say, I mean, it's it's pretty damn nuts. So, I don't know. Could it? I, I guess it would It would probably need more time to appreciate and just to keep going. Maybe after like a, a year or two. I mean, that, that's my take on it. I think if Deathrite Shaman doesn't get reprinted for another three or four years and Legacy survives as a format and keeps getting played, that it'll eventually start to increase, but it's not the kind of card that's just going to shoot up to 20 or $30 overnight because it won a Legacy GP or something. Yeah. Like, it's pretty much played in every Legacy deck that can play it already, so it's not like it's going to find a new home and suddenly see wide adaptation. It already is widely adopted everywhere. So, um, you know, it's going to be from natural growth. And other cards banned, like Jitae's Legacy only, Stoneforge Mystic, um, I don't know what else, what else is banned from Modern, but a staple Legacy. Those cards are a lot higher, but they're they're also a lot older. So yeah, yeah the, the, nature. the supply is way different comparing like Jet to uh, Deathrite Shaman that was printed in Return to Ravnica. Like, there's not really even hardly a comparison on the supply of Kamigawa block to Return to Ravnica block. And they're not going to reprint Deathrite Shaman either. So you, I think you got that going yeah. for you. Like, there's no way it comes back to standard, and I don't see the point of printing it if it's not even legal in modern. Yeah. Unless we get from the vault Manadorks or something. Like, <laughs> it, it's just too good. So I, I don't see it being reprinted anytime soon either. So you got that going for you. Yeah. The, I mean, I drew the parallel to Stoneforge Mystic. I mean, obviously Stoneforge Mystic is a lot older. There's a lot less supply than there are of Deathrite Shaman. But um, would you? Would those two cards be comparatively like the same kind of power level in Legacy? Say Deathrite Shaman is you... way more powerful. I think. Oh, okay. So I mean, I mean, Stoneforge is still really strong, but yeah. So I guess it's not really on that end. I guess it's just more of the the supply and the overall um, th- that that just Legacy doesn't pull as much as it used to. Like it's not gonna, it's not that format where. You know, a sudden like a four of is suddenly like thirty dollars just because. I mean, 
It would have to take a while. Yeah, and we just thought, like, we had a legacy open a couple weeks ago, and, like, nothing happened financially, right? Like, even though that's, like, one of, like, four legacy opens in a year or whatever it is, like, it just doesn't really matter that much. (laughs) Yeah, it does happen, don't get me wrong. I mean, we have seen, like, Cunning Wish and Omniscience and those kind of, those kind of cards, but uh, it doesn't happen nearly as often as it used to. Well, I think you just stumbled across the problem, Richard. You said four legacy opens or GPs <laughs> in a year. Like, what's the motivation to build a three thousand dollar deck when you have four big tournaments a year you can play in? Yeah, so legacy is also <laughs> each tournament is much more important. You got to win, because <laughs> <laughs> legacy is the best. Obviously, it is. Plus, it, people. People spend a lot of money on Legacy. Like, I think on Reddit right now, there's a post about a guy who pimped out his Elves deck. Like, and I regularly see people with, like, you think $3,000 is expensive. Try, like, a $10,000 Legacy deck, right? Where they got, like, <laughs> Judge Promo everything. And, you know, pe- pe- people really love their Legacy decks pimped out. I don't really well, know it, why. It, it's like you can buy, like, four Legacy decks, right? But yeah. guess it doesn't matter at some point, right? You're just, like... Well, it is that kind of one thing where you, if you do invest, you, you are going to have your legacy deck for a long time. I mean, regardless of how popular it was or still is or going to be, I mean, once you have your legacy deck, if it's a viable legacy deck, like, you have it for good. Like, the format doesn't shift so hard as it used to that if you have, like, a Just Guy Stoneblade or something, you could probably take that you know, as long as Legacy's around and be relevant. I think Shaheen Sharani just did that at the at the last Open. I think Cedric Phillips made a joke that he was playing a Stoneblade deck from, like, 2009, and he top-aided <laughs> the tournament. He just, he's playing Lingering Souls and all these cards that no one has played in, like, four exactly. years. And he made the top four casually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Richard has said, has said that over the course of the cast. Like, Legacy's like that... that format that you could play some obscure deck and that's legacy viable and end up like spiking a tournament or doing extremely well as long as you know the deck know the matchups and just are all all around good legacy player you could do it yeah like even that black white deck that you play richard like that's not like a top tier legacy deck but it was it's a viable legacy deck yeah um so it could do just as well as it did like five years ago speaking of eternal formats Quick reminder, this weekend is Eternal Weekend, so we not yes. only get Legacy, but this might be the only paper vintage tournament that is, like, a major event that's streamed all year long. So we get Legacy and Vintage on camera this weekend, so make sure to check that out. Yeah, and we'll definitely be talking about it. I'm I'm dreading seeing the my $5,000 deck got stolen or something like that, <laughs> my $10,000 deck got stolen. Uh, I just... There's always one. I just, I don't understand. It's like, dude, if you're going to bring your deck, like, have it chained to your hand or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Have it in a briefcase that's chained to you. Like, I don't know. Take extra precautions out there if you're going to Eternal Weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And don't leave anything in your car. Damn. But like, like, if you, you find an opponent with fake cards, do they just get DQ'd for the tournament? I think they do. That, that's my question for Eternal Weekend, because I play a lot of Legacy, and I see a lot of questionable cards, but I never call anyone out because, you know, it's just, like, small tournaments. Right. But, you know, at, a, like, a very big high EV event, could you be like, can I see that Tundra? That I don't <laughs> see the dot pattern, <laughs> Judge. Yeah. Some uh, free wins that way, because... I suspect, like, a lot of people, like, their their entry into Vintage is fake cards, right? Yeah. 
like a lot of local tournaments allow you to use proxies, right? But when you go to a real tournament, you're now missing like all of the legitimate cards. So. That is true. I mean, I've always wondered. I mean, I don't play Legacy as much as you. You just touched on. It. I just wanted to ask a quick question, like. How often does that actually come up, Richard? Like, you spot, like, fake stuff. Oh, I see fake stuff like, all the time. All the time? Like, like, lately, like, I'm across the room, like, oh, wow, God, that card is like, so fake. But, like, you know, like, I'm not going to call it out. I don't care, right? Like, we're just playing for fun. Right. Or, like, even at, it, like, if I was at SEG Open or something, would I call it out? I don't think I would. Like, it's just not yeah. that relevant. Like, this guy's beating me with his proxies, and, like, so be it, right? Like, he's the better <laughs> Magic player, but... At the same time, like if you're in the top eight, I, mean, I would be I a little, know, I would right? be kind of a little pissed. Like if it was like just like one tundra hanging out or something like that, that's that's fake. I mean, if he's using almost like all fake stuff and you can clearly see it, I probably would say something. I've never seen anyone to. call anyone out over a fake card, even though there are a lot of cards that are like very <laughs> questionably fake. Like, well, like the color I, I think is I, off, right? I like, think for me it would be like the quantity. Like if you had like one two maybe like just a couple in there that all right they're expensive cards sure whatever a volcanic island or some something like that you don't you didn't want to spend the extra 250 dollars i get it or whatever but if you start like dropping your whole land base is like proxied or fake or whatever i mean i might say something after a while i think i would call over a judge well, i'm kind of i'm just so happy to play legacy but <laughs> <laughs> right. i mean i wouldn't be that happy but i mean i mean i'm happy but i mean damn after a while it's like come on well, and isn't it risky, though? Because what if you're wrong? Don't you just look like a complete ass if you call you the judge and your opponent has, like... Because some of those old cards, especially the print runs, are very inconsistent. Like, they don't... Like, the coloring is sometimes legitimately a little weird because they didn't have a great printing process. So you also don't want to be the guy that just, like, calls a judge every round because your opponent has a misprint <laughs> or a funny-looking force of will. That is true. They They did have some wacky stuff go on back then, but... I mean, for me, I, I think I'm stuck on the on the quantity thing. Like, a couple here and there, whatever. Count their fake cards. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> if I see multiple dual lands out there, and then they start playing, like, forces of will that are also fake, I'm going to get kind of pissed. Yeah, I would definitely call a judge. <laughs> Be like, come on, man. Like, you know we're coming to a legacy tournament. Damn. I don't know. Yeah. How easy, how easy are they to spot? Like, you can see it across the room. You know, some some of them like the coloration is just like yeah. really bad, right? And then there's others that are more subtle. Like you know, if you look at it carefully, like oh, there's no dot pattern here, right? Like right. like the very I'm you know I'm not like pulling out a flashlight and doing the light test or something in the middle <laughs> of the room, right? But give me that tropical. Just looking at them, you're like this is very suspect, right? But I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. unsleeve your card and examine it. Like I don't really care, right? Yeah, rip yeah. test. I bet your would <laughs> love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Um, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Did we have any more fish mail? Uh, nope, that was it. All right, I thought we had more. Okay, so that'll about do it for episode 31. We're back, and we will see you next week for episode 32.